1: Hey, this is Pat Ricard, aka Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens
0: podcast on the planet. It's pretty incredible. In fact, it's la marvelous.
1: Thank you, guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore B-Town Podcast. It
0: is Friday, July 17th. Friday rolling. Friday rolling. It's the freaking weekend. Uh, we're about to have us some fun. We're recording back-to-backs, giving you guys uh, kind of a news and current up-to-date episode. And then we're also going to be recording a second episode, which will release next week, which is going to be an evergreen mailbag. So maybe a good one for a car ride or something of the sort. And we're going to try and pump some good stuff out. It is summer. And, the I mean, the NFL just doesn't stop, man. Football doesn't stop. There's news, 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 news. And maybe that's just the day and age that we live in now where kind of stories and things and, you know, The NFL kind of sets up stuff so that things continuously come out kind of uh, at a set date and time, and they kind of keep things rolling. They've really made it a year-round program to keep us engaged, and it's fun because, I mean, I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I need some freaking football. We don't even – I mean, usually training, we're like right about to go into training camp and that whole ordeal about this time, so – Everything's running rampant about that. Usually, the players are, you know, headed back in the facility and in and out and all that good stuff right now. But obviously, things are awry from how they are in the year of destruction, chaos, and insanity. Yeah, I mean, the thing about football is that it
1: can't get here soon enough. Uh, as far as what you mentioned there uh, to start off, like you said, this is going to be a little two-in-one situation, so if you're listening to this on podcast, you can go back and uh, access both episodes on YouTube. I'd probably recommend against that if you want to have some content for next week. Uh, Like I said, we're just doing this because I'm going to be out of town next week. But, uh, yeah, we're going to be covering some news. Like you mentioned, the news cycle does never stop churning when it comes to the NFL, when it comes to sports. But football in particular, for whatever reason, just finds a way to dominate the landscape. 365 days a year, uh, whether positive or negative. And uh, today we had some negative news come out uh, down to the adjacent NFL franchise. That are they nameless currently right now? Who could say? But uh, yeah, some not great. The artists
0: formerly known as Redskins. The artists
1: formerly known as the Washington Football Redskins, uh, presented by Dan Snyder, uh, had what? What would I? What I would. Describe as probably not a banner week or a couple of weeks for them. Uh, going back to some of the controversies with their name, which we hinted at there. Obviously, they're going through some, you know, obvious some turmoil there. They're they've announced that they're going to be changing it. There's a lot of speculation surrounding that. But in the midst of all that sort of breaking and kind of opening up and people sort of talking about that, there was some undercurrents about some other stuff that was going to be coming out. Uh, what was kind of the first? you know, sort of inkling that you saw on something like that, because it started to dribble out slowly and uh, maybe a little frustrating at first, kind of weirdly handled by some people. I thought it was uh, sort of strangely dribbling out. And then finally it all broke today. But
0: what was kind of your first experience seeing some of those things? As we get a live comment of a name that I'm not going to say, I'm pretty sure I know who that is. Uh, MD Law so hard. Nice try. But no, it's not, it's
1: not him. he, he he's MD MD law so easy. I think even on YouTube. Oh, who else is trying to
0: get us then there?
1: I'm not going to say it.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't know who it actually is, but we're not going to say that either. And anyway, yeah, the first inkling that I got was that there was a rumor floating around that some really bad ominous stuff was going to come out of the Redskins organization and that it was going to be, I've heard terms like biblical uh be thrown around and and some other things. So it started, yeah, a week ago, a week or two ago and these rumors just swirling about what it is and from there it really, you know, turned into like a madhouse of different possibilities and things that uh were kind of circumventing and and Dan Snyder obviously the head of them and you know, here we are with Ron Rivera and, and the Redskins trying to change their name and Uh, dropping that. And um, that's why we said, obviously, formerly known as the Redskins, the Washington football team. Maybe that's just what they should make their name, the Washington football team. Uh, They got to earn a name back. Yes, exactly. They need to earn it. But, yeah, so I just just heard various sources that something really bad was going to come out of the Redskins organization, the formerly Redskins organization. And uh, it progressed from there. It got, I mean, what ended up coming out is obviously horrendous. Uh, damning, damaging, negligent, toxic, many other adjectives to describe just how bad it is. But, I mean, there were some crazy, crazy, crazy theories as well that were were supposed to coincide with it. And uh, I kind of, with my tinfoil cap on, which, you know, always gets the people going, it feels like some entity or buddy or someone named Dan Snyder and his people started trying to kind of uh inflate the rumors maybe there was this big inflation of of it potentially being gambling potentially being drugs potentially being bribing prostitution uh all kinds of things and in the end we end up hearing about yet again another football franchise that treats women like shit and it's pitiful it's you know exactly the horrendous things that you know football doesn't need. And I feel like it's, you know, everyone says it's ingrained into sports culture and and football culture specifically, but I think that's a load of crap. I think that that's a way of kind of sugarcoating it and make, and trying to normalize it because I know so many people that will punch someone in the face if they disrespect a woman and, and take it too far and things like that. So we end up hearing, you know, there's 15 women, 14 of which anonymous that come forth and, Uh, kind of press that there has been sexual misconduct sexual harassment uh, just being really shitty general people and being sexist and uh, misogynist and all those horrible things so it really sucks to hear that come out that so many you know women who are trying to make a name for themselves and wanted to work in football and all those things end up getting turned off of of the sport and of the league and all those things and uh, there's just no place for that shit anymore and it I'm, I'm I'm trying to put this in the right way, so please you know, let me process and, and say it with a grain of salt. But I love that this story came out. I love that this stuff is getting exposed because I feel like you know in the the day and age of social media, people want to criticize it, but now, you know, it comes out. more stuff gets come out. more stuff gets captured on camera. more of these monstrosities and atrocities, get brought to light. I feel like because social media kind of gives a platform and allows, uh, ease and transition. It also lets people know like what's not normal, how people, other people are treated, what, what goes on elsewhere in the world. And that, you know, it's not normal. What's happening to me. The, I'm not, I'm saying me, but I mean them that they were not being treated with respect. They weren't being treated with decency. And, uh, it's, it's, (laughs) how, I feel like I speak for the vast majority of people, and unfortunately, there's that you know five percent of people that are still just jerks. But we're we're sick and tired of having to hear about these horrible things. I mean, we're we are sons of mothers. We have sisters. We have you know significant others. We have friends. We have all these women in our lives, and and, and you know obviously, and it, it goes into just minorities in general or people that are not in power and and you know call me what you want but it's non-white uh not non-white men and they all get treated like shit and I'm sick and tired of it I think every pretty much everybody's sick and tired of it and to be honest I'm happy that you know our generation is the social media generation because we are able to spread like wildfire what's not right we're able to have conversations about it we're able to see other circumstances and other things and and use logic and conclusions. And of course that's not everyone, but I feel like it's a strong majority of people. And I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of this bullshit. I'm sick and tired of people being power hungry. I'm sick and tired of people uh, belittling others because of their own insecurities. And that's why uh, in the end, like a big thing is like normalize, you know, talking about mental health, normalize talking about insecurities, normalize getting better, normalize all of these things instead of like, To me, what this story ended up saying was that there are a bunch of grown men in a billion-dollar franchise with cushy jobs and cushy offices that are fully grown men sexually with the mind of a seven-year-old. The things that they were saying, the text messages they were saying, it's like if you gave a seven-year-old boy the sex prowess of a 25-year-old man or a 50-year-old man, really, not a 25-year-old, and they're just like dumb and perverted is the best two ways to put what was going on and unfortunately uh more men or more women had to be subjected to that and it's just it just sucks it just really sucks and you know we are both sitting here you know white men and you know for it's like I, I, it just blows my mind because in to, especially in today's age i feel like i have extra responsibility to not be like that to not be some childish perverted racist demented fucking asshole. And it just like, it's like, it's just like, come on, man, come on, stop, cut it out. Just do the right thing. Stand up for other people, have people's backs, try and do your best to make other people feel good and live a happy life instead of, you know, just being some sick pervert that tits, boobs, like whatever, like cut it, just cut it out. Just cut it out. There's no place for it. I'm glad they're all getting exposed. I'm sorry that these women had to go through these things. Um, I hate the fact that all these rumors floated around about it about how Dan Snyder was bribing a fish. And maybe this stuff does come out. Frank Placo said it, and maybe maybe there's more to come. and there probably is, but it feels like there was some sort of concerted effort to uh, inflate this rumor mill full of things that could be even, like it's not that they're better or worse necessarily, but it, it, it's shock value. And it's that, you know, those things would have been huge. If, if Dan Snyder Snyder is proven to be bribing NFL officials, that ends up being the takeaway, not that these 15 poor women had to deal with, you know, sexual misconduct from perverted old men. And I feel like it took a lot away from them and the courage that it takes for them to tell their story. And that pisses me off. And I feel like it is, uh, it was a, was a calculated move to try and take away from these women and their feelings And I mean, uh, this is going to sound stupid, but it's relatable. I feel like I just watched athlete a recently on Netflix with the Larry Nassar story and the terrible things that all of the poor girls that were in the USA gymnastics program had to suffer through. And it's just like, it's just so disheartening and sickening and demented. And I'm just tired of it. I'm just sick and tired of it. And everyone that got fired from the Washington football team organization and all that shit that is to come deserves much worse than they're even going to get. And they all do. And they can honestly all stick it where the sun don't shine. I'm sick and tired of them. And like I said, in the end, if you are a white male, especially in a position of power, you should be uplifting people. You should be encouraging growth. You should be encouraging people to be confident that are not white, white males. And they're not doing that. They're doing the exact opposite. They're just, continuously grinding and grinding and grinding on people that aren't that they know it, it. it's like this whole sick mental thing where they know they're in a position of power. They know there's nothing anyone can do. They know that no one will believe them all of these things and they take advantage of it. And like, I just hope there's a special place in hell for them. That's all. That's, that's my piece on it.
1: That was really well said. I think that's going to be in your Mount Rushmore of rants. You went pretty long there. That's
0: a That was a long one, but
1: there's, there's my thoughts. I'm just freaking sick and tired of it. I like it. You made a lot of really good points. Uh, Yeah, as far as, you know, the men in power thing, like I hate to come across as like judgmental to anyone or anything, but I'm sick and tired of it too. And like, frankly, it's your responsibility to get better and be better than the generations before you. And, you know, as we're learning from some of the guys that were maybe from the generation before us, they didn't do a great job of that. It sounds like there are some guys in our generation that are not doing a great job of that. I know guys my eggs that are not doing a great job of that, and like I'm not sitting here and saying that I'm perfect. I'm certainly not. I have a lot of things to work on, but I think I have made a concerted effort, especially over the last couple of years, to sort of broaden my horizons and try to become more sensitive to issues that don't necessarily affect me because that's how you're going to affect change in a world that is very much messed up, and this is a story that came out and uh, confirmed that, and the way that it came out was also pretty annoying. I don't totally blame some people for putting some stuff out there, but... Just sort of the sensationalizing of it all, like early in the week, especially when people are like, oh, this is really bad. Like, I'm hearing a lot of stuff. Like, I'm hearing X, I'm hearing Y. It's like, all right, dude, you're kind of just clout chasing at this point. Like, you're doing anything for the clout. And uh, it's, you know, it's kind of pretty shameless. And you're just trying to ride the wave of uh, the reporting that I'm, I'm, the guy's name is blanking on me, who put this whole WAPO story together that uh, I think that was pretty well written. And uh, he did a good job covering all the angles. As far as the story itself, I think you mentioned, uh, what it meant to you. And I think you did a good job summarizing that for me, what it meant was just yet another example of the position that women are in. And to an extent, the position that some men are put in, uh, who come into contact with this type of stuff, whether they're dealing with it in a direct or indirect level and what they basically, what the burden of that means to them. Like, do you come forward and risk your job? A lot of these people their dream was to work in the NFL and they get there and uh, it's not quite what, you know, it was cracked up to be to them in their mind. In fact, it turns out to be something quite opposite to that, particularly to the women that were affected by this and are still kind of dealing with it in one way or another. And uh, they're just put in a position, man, where they feel like they have no other option than to just sit back and take it. And that's, what's especially shitty to me. And that's the, I think speaks to the culture that Dan Snyder, that little dweeby fuck, has put together there for the past two decades at this point. I think he's on the team for 21 years now. The guy is just a terrible owner. He's toxic. He's diet Donald Sterling. And uh, he has been running a once proud franchise into the ground. And uh, that's not to say that the Redskins are the only organization that has this stuff going on, because I'm sure there's many more and maybe this was the first. I, I, feel, like it's,
0: I feel like to a degree, it's like all of them. Yeah. I blow. think
1: that, yeah, I think this is probably just the first lid in many that are going to blow on this type of thing soon. But uh, of course, it's emblematic that the Redskins, who are one of the most dysfunctional, just you know, bottom barrel franchises, and like we said, we have a lot of respect for a lot of their fans and everything that they've gone through, re- gone through recently. But yeah, it just speaks to terrible culture, terrible leadership. Uh, Dan Snyder, I think, could be forced out hypothetically. I don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, if I had to, you know, put money on one side or the other, I think he's probably going to stick around for at least the near future. But uh, the guy just got completely exposed in this story uh, as pretty much everything we already thought, you know, just bad leader, incompetent, a guy who just has no social ability whatsoever. You know, he's like mocking the guy for being a male cheer- cheerleader, which like, you know, whatever, like maybe that was more of a benign joke or it was taken out of context. But just the fact that he would like make a joke like that, like Dan Snyder strikes me as a guy who like has always wanted wanted to be like one of the guys, but he just has never, you know, done the work to gain the social skills to do so. And, uh, you know, the fact that he just happened into a ton of money, maybe that helped him in some ways, but it definitely did not help him because uh, money just kind of makes you more of who you are in some ways. And uh, he was who he was before this, which was insecure, incompetent, and uh, not a great leader. And uh, that just made him even more of that uh, as this story trickled out and uh, completely exposed him and the Redskins for some pretty shitty stuff like you pretty much already hit on there perfectly more perfectly than I could have.
0: And what and going even further and existentially meta, whatever you want to call it, is like the saddest part of this entire thing. And I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar as you know, local DMV in Baltimore border each other and all that stuff. But I mean, the Redskins ripped seats out of their stadium because they couldn't put fans in the stands. And if you don't reach a certain percentage of Uh, Your game's being populated in person. You get blacked out from TV. It's happened to the Jaguars. And somehow the Redskins are still like, I don't have it off the top of my head. It's a quick Google away, but what, like the fifth, third, sixth most valuable franchise? They're like in that ballpark. Like they're a billion dollar franchise. and NFL franchises, even the
1: most destitute ones, just print money. Like it's insane.
0: Yes. And the Redskins are the bottom, the shittiest most worthless, poorly run, done everything wrong. I mean, even looking at their players, they sign washed up stars that are clearly deranged who end up like basically being drunks and party animals that get paid way too much for the Redskins. Like they don't value what their players do on the field as much as who they are. And in the end, like it just shows that the morality is forsaken for the revenue. And I just hope that, you know, and there's some people that argue to the death and are pure capitalists and whatever. But like in the end, to me, you can only be that way for so long before you fail. If you don't have even a modicum of morality, there's no and, problem. I mean,
1: to me, like, you know, I have no problem with capitalism, but there also you need to realize the difference between capitalism and greed, and you also need to realize when you are there's a balance when, as,
0: as everything too much of something is bad.
1: And when you're focusing when you're focusing more on your bottom line than you are on you know the long term, you're focusing on the dimes, not the dollars. Maybe a little bit of an investment in PR. They only had one PR person working there. Maybe
0: an so investment. They had, so they had one person to oversee about two hundred and forty. Maybe it was like two hundred twenty nine. I can't remember the exact number. Yeah, around uh, that. staff one person for 240 while all of this lewd behavior is going on. And I say lewd and that's downplaying it. All of this perverted behavior is going on. And th- th- there's one poor soul in charge of that, that probably you can't even possibly pay enough to deal with that. And, and no wonder all this shit's running rampant. I mean, how do you possibly manage 240 people in this setting and, And it's it's just like in the end, it's just so sad because like football has all these horrible stigmas around it. And, you know, I like to think that it's getting better and being more inclusive and all that shit. But there's just stuff like this still. And it's just like, how did these douchebags get into this point of power, survive this long? They don't deserve it. And they're that are just shitty people. And it just sucks. But in the end, it got it came to light. You can act like an asshole all you want and think that you're safe, but in today's age, you're not. You're not safe to act like a selfish, greedy pervert. You will be brought to light eventually, and that's what I love about this age, this day and age. And a lot, it's unfortunate. It's very stressful for us. And I'm gonna, we're gonna sound like you know little babies or whatever. But it's stressful having to hear about all this shit all the time. And, and all we're not, hey, I things. want to stop you
1: right there real quick, because we're not little babies for the ones that are talking about this and discussing this and trying to have some honest and open discourse. The people that are the babies are the ones that are ignoring that discourse and choosing to keep their heads in the sand and choosing to continue to perpetuate what is, quite frankly, just bullshit and has been in place forever because the NFL is still ostensibly a boys club. And, uh, you know, just like a lot of institutions in the United States and pretty much the entire world. That's kind of the way things go. Uh, But like you mentioned, it's not going to be that way forever. And uh, with the age of information, we millennials and the Gen Z, whatever, they get shit on for being stupid or being obsessed with social media or kind of having their heads in the clouds a little bit. This is definitely one thing where those types of people are going to get exposed. And when I tell you it's time to mature a little bit and it's time to maybe kind of look in the mirror and intentionally sort of try to improve yourself, I'm telling you that for your benefit, because maybe you're going to look back in 20 years and maybe not see anything on social media, but you're going to see the way the culture has changed and society has changed in that length of time. And you're going to start to regret the way that you decided to build your persona, the way you decided to communicate who you were. I think it's time for people to really look in the mirror and try to
0: make really you know effective change to themselves. And the nepotism, and it doesn't have to be literal nepotism, but it's like this regime of of whatever, of your your name, not your merit. I mean... I like to think that we're getting better with that, but then there's shit like this and it just is deflating because you know that those people that act that way get to act that way and, and essentially not face consequence because of who they are instead of the merit of their work. And you just know that there are such better people to be in those positions on those teams that would love to, that would be passionate and, and maybe they're not perfect, but they're not going to act the way that those people were in the Redskins organization, but they deserve a shot and they're not getting it. And to me, that trickles all the way down to the fact that the NFL has been 70% black players for so long, for so long, since the late 80s, early 90s, it's been above 50%. And how many black coaches are there? How many black executives are there? How many scouts are black? How many GMs are black? And how many women are
1: there? There's like no women
0: at all. Maybe a few in the league right now. Absolutely. And to me and to me, it's just insane because like we're in this age now, football wise of PFF and analytics and, you know, all these different companies and all that's being mainstay. But like if you're an NFL player you get a scouting report every week that is detailed analytics. This team uses 11 personnel, this percentage of the time. We're going to get into Warren. Sh- We're about to talk about Warren Sharp in this episode and all that stuff. But if you're on an NFL team, th- this sh- shit, we had Emory Hunt on to talk about this. This shit's been around for 40 years already for the players. And so the idea that like the players might not be competent or like something, but like they have been the ones applying the analytics it's just called scouting for 40 years at this point where they get a sheet that or many sheets that details, you know, opponents, usage, formation, tendencies, what to look for, how to play things, how to play different things. And just the idea that these players and college football players and all these things, like they have a high level comprehension of this. Most of them are black and you know, none of them are given opportunity in the NFL is it's, it's that it's a, it's a strain of nepotism of good old boys club, as you mentioned, that trickles down where who you are and who you know is better than what you are and what you know. And that's bullshit. And I'm tired of that as well. That is, you know, you can say that's the way the world works, but fuck that. I'm tired of it and I'm going to stomp on it. So here we are. Yeah, it is the way the world works, but uh, that kind of stuff doesn't change overnight. But, uh, you
1: know, I think just having the conversation about it and calling it out, I think ultimately, hopefully will affect one person and then that person affects another person and then it just kind of spreads virally in that way and uh ultimately we can be looking at an improved world hopefully you know down the line like we've been dis- discussing with the um you know more wide-ranging stuff with everything that happened with uh, george floyd and black lives matter uh it's going to take a while but just continue to call it out uh you know continue to put the foot on the throat of uh the society that is quite frankly bloated and in need of some serious change
0: and i absolutely don't want to be Someone who, you know, does uh, utopia is never going to happen. Utopia is a word and is a thing because it is impossible to achieve a utopia. So I don't want to, you know, come across as if tell that to my SimCity file. uh, I was. I don't want to ever. You're you're insane. No, I wasn't (laughs) that good. I I I just sicked the hurricanes on everyone immediately. It was. But there's never going to be a utopia. That's why the word utopia exists. So I'm I'm not ever expecting perfection. But again, to quote, you know, uh, Chris Berman, Tom Jackson, just come on, man. Like that's the best way that I can describe my feelings towards all of this, all of this whirlwind of stuff that it encompasses. Is just come on, man. Like be better, do better. Look at where you are. Step out of your own shoes for two fucking seconds step out of your own self look at yourself look at who you are where you are and the ways that you can implement change in the world and just stop being a dick that's all just just take a reality check look in the mirror look at where you are how you can help people how you can affect other people positively and you know i guess old men you know get a pass for being perverts or something but that that's that seems like that's gone too um, I think that's something our society—it's like, oh, he's just a creepy old man. Like, no, at this point, it's—it's it's so much more than that. There's, there's these norms and these things, and and they've got to go. That's not normal. It's not normal to be a creepy old man. Uh, don't normalize that, and don't treat women like shit. Don't treat anyone like shit in general, unless they are an asshole, which you judge not for wealth, rank, honor, skin color, but for their personal worth and character. So.
1: I just tweeted that out. That's going to be going on uh, some sort of campaign slogan when you inevitably do run for some sort of office. Stop being a dick. Spencer Schultz, 2020. Uh, So I guess, is that all we got on that? We went almost half an hour?
0: Yeah, that's all I got. I will say, you know, this isn't going to come back, but I will say, steering way, but still with the uh, the former Redskins, Red Wolves, I'm behind it. I love Wolves. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the name change. Yeah, the name change. So, I, the name change, I don't know if it's that was a stunt to try and deflect whatever, who knows, but uh, Red Wolves, I like it. Well, in I guess end, that brings it all end. the
1: way back to the sponsors that were threatening to pull away. So, you had FedEx threatening to pull away. Uh, who else was, you know, that's deeply in, involved with the organization that were threatening to pull away if they didn't do something about the name? Maybe that ha- had something to do with all this, but I think it was just kind of auspicious timing in that they all threatened to do that. And that's really what got Snyder to get on his horse and start to implement the uh, name change. I think all of this is just kind of a shitstorm of, uh, epic proportions that has come together for this
0: one hell week for the Redskins.
1: And, uh, yeah, the name is officially going to be changed.
0: Yes. And I hope it's red wolves. I like red wolves. I like that. I think that does, uh, pertain to native American culture in a positive way in many, you know, native American tribes and ideologies. A wolf is a sign of strength is, family and and all all those wonderful things and i also just love wolves it's my favorite animal i like their designs i like the logos i like all the fan ones used um people bitch and moan about you know the changing of, of guard from the red skins but it's just like in the end you can bitch about it all you want but don't just stop naming things after people's skin color stop talking like it, it, it just it's just not best for a billion dollar franchise to be something skin I don't listen to the radio anymore, but I was a big
1: DC 101 guy in high school. Shout out to them. They do awesome stuff. Uh, they were having this discussion in like 2012. So it's been going on for that long and probably longer. If I were a Skins fan, I'd probably just wash my hands of it at this point and be ready to cut my losses and move on because it seems like it's getting kind of annoying.
0: It's pretty and crazy. Cody, but McGowan, Cody McGowan comments and says, yes, Nike said they wouldn't st- uh, stock the apparel anymore. And that they, makes you know, sense. A yeah, with the their, their investment in Kaepernick, I think,
1: uh, yeah, they, they probably want to.
0: Good for Nike. I mean, good for Nike, but at the same time, Nike sweatshops, like all that shit still exists. But, you know, it's a slippery slope. The thing with Redskins fans with, with not wanting the name, and especially like guys that are our age, what good memories do you have of the Redskins? What good memories do you have? Going 9 and 7 and winning the division and then watching RG3 as AC get torn and that's that's your only playoff experience it, it, It's being
1: an Orioles fan. It's really the only it's yeah, it's RG3 in 2012. That's it. 10 and 6, division win, lose in the playoffs at home. Uh it's a it's a tough scene for Redskins fans. It's like you mentioned, it, it is worse than the Orioles. It's worse than the Orioles. How do you do that?
0: Like somehow Peter Angelos isn't worse than Dan Snyder, and that is like I think. Well, I think the
1: thing about Angelos is I think he's like a good guy, but he's a little cash strapped and a little old school and kind of runs things like a mom and pop shop. Uh, hopefully, his sons are going to be a little bit better yeah. than that. I guess we'll see. Dan Snyder to me just seems like like I mentioned he just seems like the dude who just had the rich parents and like just wanted to be friends with everyone, and he just never learned the social skills. I just I get a really bad vibe from Dan Snyder.
0: I had a a buddy who uh he actually attended a birthday party for Dan S- one of dan snyder's sons fifth birthday party uh, i think he was like a family friend of a friend or something whatever and, and he said he goes to dan snyder's you know estate whatever you want to call it and it's this beautiful huge house backyard and he was a redskins fan so he was like super excited to like maybe meet dan snyder this was this was years ago and was super excited and he told me that uh, the party went on and it was beautiful catered. There's all kinds of, you know, really cool stuff for a little kid birthday party. And, um, he doesn't see Dan Snyder anywhere. So it's like, Oh, that's, that's, you know, weird. Where's, where's Dan Snyder? It's his son's birthday. He said, Dan Snyder, you hear Vroom. Dan Snyder pulls around the side. Like so you can see his like Ferrari or whatever the hell, you know, obvious expensive car he pulled up in. Walks up to the balcony overseeing the party. Everyone gets quiet and he goes, happy birthday, you know, whatever his son's name. Happy birthday, Johnny, you know, whatever. And then just walked away and left. And ever since then, that just gives you an insight into Dan Snyder being a D-bag. Yeah,
1: I mean, it gives off big time, like trying to be Ari Gold vibes, but like not Ari Gold. He's like the guy that um he like, he bought the that fake Ari Gold book that came out and he like read it and he like took it seriously. And he just like modeled his life after that.
0: Yes, he he is a poor man's loser version of Ari Gold. Yes, I agree. Maybe a more modern reference. He's
1: like trying to be Bobby Ax, but like he's just not. He doesn't have the social skills. Like he just doesn't have
0: them. Some people are like that. I know a few of them. He's like he's like the uh, the Secretary of the Treasury in what what is that guy's position in uh, billions. Who Bobby Axrod's um, buddy, who's like super short, the the guy that Spiro, or not Spiros, uh, he is like Spiros, in some ways, probably kind of, but he he's the guy who's like the secretary of the treasury. That Bobby Oxrod's boys with.
1: Oh, and, I know who you're talking. Yeah, I forget the guy's yes. name. He might be that guy. That's who Dan Snyder is. That's actually a good one. uh Yeah, the dude that's like five foot four, and like he loses. No, in not Boca. Wags. Not Wags. Yeah, no, no not Wags. Wags. It's his. uh It's like Wags his right. A He's a dude that like owns the one of the other firms. Um, and then he because he gets a position within the government. I forget his name. In the treasury. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he owned that one of the firms. What is that guy That's saying? Dan Snyder for me, though. That's going to kill me. Um, Yeah, anyway, they're like
0: Red Wolves. Red Wolves, I love it, and I think that's cool. I think that it, it kind of is like a nod to Native American history. I think you can keep the R, hail to the Red Wolves instead of Redskins. Uh, I think that they should keep an R if possible, and I think it's kind of a nod that like we used to, you know, like it it, it keeps the Native American culture kind of vibe without being offensive. How
1: about the Washington like How about the Washington overpriced cups of coffee, am I right? Ta-da. How about Damn. the wa- How about the Washington uh too much traffic on 495, am I right? Oh, bazinga. How about the Washington overpriced rounds of golf at uh shitty courses? <laughs> That's actually not true. They they've got some nice guys down there. But they uh do. yeah, I get okay, is that all we got on the name? That's all we got on the name. Okay, moving on, we had the Madden ratings come out. Always a fun topic for people. I usually don't really care that much. Uh, Ravens kind of, you know, you don't see this much outrage surrounding them over the last couple of years, but now that they are very heavily within the bloodstream of NFL fans as uh, one of the teams on the rise, or, you know, potentially just one of the top players. They're cash cow right now for the NFL. Oh yeah, they definitely are. So very marketable, a lot of young stars, a lot of people and players that are going to be featuring heavily in the game, so... Starting off with the cover boy, you got Lamar Jackson, third best quarterback in the game at a 94. He had like, I think a 96 speed and acceleration, a very high awareness as well. You had Marlon Humphrey is the sixth best cornerback at 89. That turns heads Earl Thomas as the 10th best safety at 88. I didn't really have too many issues with any of those. Uh,
0: any of these other ones catch your eye? I really like Mark Ingram's ratings. Um, he was kind he was of pretty upset. low, right? He was an '86, and I think people get like caught up in the overall. But as someone who plays the living shit out of Madden every year, like he had a nine. I think he had a 92 juke and 88 break tackle. Like a 92 juke, that's like eight points higher than he had last year, or something. Like he's going to be able to shake, and he's never going to be a burner. But I thought that was really good. I'm interested to see what Pat Ricard is. I think fullback ratings and kicker ratings are always like. Like the overall I tried to uh, yeah
1: I actually tried to look him up today on their little player ratings thing that they have on their website but it didn't um bring anything like, up. like Kyle
0: check should be like a 97 yeah I typed
1: game. in I typed in fullback and it didn't bring anything up
0: like the, they the, then Tucker is an 87 but he's always the highest rated kicker which it just doesn't make sense which is just like one of those lazy little things about Madden where they have something in in place that should be fit like Justin Tucker should be a 99 and have a 99 gold chain and be in their little 99 announcement shit because he's the greatest kicker of all time. He is a perfect kicker. Uh, Yeah, I saw a PFF
1: Moo tweeting about that a little bit. He's like an 86 or whatever. The problem with kickers, I feel like in Madden, is that they're just completely reversed to what the issues are in real life. So in Madden, a lot of them have issues with power and getting the ball even to the goalpost. I feel like in real life, it's sort of the other way where a
0: lot of these guys have legs, but they just have no accuracy. Right. And like they can they'll drive it over the upright but miss the post. Like they miss not short but wide. And I agree with that. They should also have like a variation of kick ratings where it's like like long accuracy, short accuracy, the same way they have it for quarterbacks, I think. But anyway, yeah, Tucker should be a ninety nine. He's an eighty seven. He's still the highest rated kicker, but just lazy on their part to not change the ratings so that He's a 99 instead of an 87. Like, what? What do you want? Is speed to be a 90 to make him a 99? That doesn't make any sense. That's stupid. And the same thing applies with fullbacks. Clay's Campbell's a 95. Um, PFF has him as like one of the top 50 players in football. He was their run defender of the year last year, so he's definitely going to be a force on the inside. Uh, I think Patrick Queen's like a 72 or something. Uh, Marlon Humphrey an 89. Really good at man coverage. Probably he ended up getting the badge at the end of the year last year for man coverage, which was a okay with me. Uh, you see, like Richard Sherman above him and Jair Alexander. It was- kind of stupid and then garnet tells us peters play recognition yeah peters was a snub all like five ravens tweeted like what the hell i remember lamar jackson saying his least favorite favorite person to throw at is marcus peters apparently he picks the shit out of lamar in practice he's also probably just Um, a little
1: shit talker like no matter what happens like we all have this guy in like any sport that you play it's just like no matter what happens the dude is just always jawing in, in your ear whether he's trying to be like a coach on the field or he's like actually like talking mess. It's like, let's, let's calm down a little bit,
0: dude. It's practice. That's definitely Peters. Right. And he should just have like Marcus Peters is the best ball skills of any corner. So his jumping, his catching, his, uh, spectacular catch, like all that stuff should be super high. Tackling can be low. That's fine. His speed doesn't have to be super high, but it still be like an 88 or better. Um, his zone and man should be high, all that stuff. So we'll see. But the thing is like, I don't get mad about these. The best way to put it is that Hollywood Brown to end last year was an 80. And that's because his awareness is low. A lot of these ratings are tied to awareness. And if you know that if you're playing, that doesn't really affect you as much. Like if you're simulating a franchise, I get it. But Hollywood was an 80, but he had a 97 speed. He had a good release rating. He had a good deep route running rating. So I would throw him fades and I would score a lot of touchdowns. Cause if you're play press and you don't have a fast corner, he's just gonna run by them. And I just tap, you know, X and Hollywood Brown scores a touchdown. I've done that a thousand times in the last Madden. I would take him over most receivers that were in 85 because of those ratings, those specific ratings and the way that I use them. Um, so I think, you know, it doesn't matter. Plus, they end up updating the rosters every single week. So they kind of do these initial ratings based on kind of like legacy a little bit almost and consistency over time and, and someone being dominant for like three, four years. They're going to be in the 90s versus like, they basically said uh, Andre Weed Garden, whatever his Wine name, is. yeah. He tweeted and was like, "Yeah, Minka Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt are you know high 80s because they haven't really been like doing it for a long time." TJ Watt, I kind of disagree with. He feel like he should be like a 95, but you know, I, I I get it. And let's say TJ Watt starts out the first four games as five sacks, he'll probably be like a 93. So they adjust that shit. Um, it's not the end of the world. And I love that they adjust it. They update it all the time. I love when they do updates. I love when someone has a huge game and then they get like a three-point boost in Matt. And I think that's really cool. They've been doing that for a long time. They were the first game to do that of the sports franchises. And I like it. So, you know, you're complaining about it now, but it's not going to matter midway through the season. And sometimes they still have guys that are kind of lacking behind and whatever, and they're not perfect. But, you know, whatever. It seems like they put a lot of effort into it. And, and what Andre was saying about, like Baker Mayfield's throwing velocity in games is what's contributing and they have that all all fine-tuned and all this stuff. So, uh, I think they put a lot more time and effort into it than we realize and I like playing Madden and I also will say that I stand up for Madden because everyone's like, "Oh, it's the same game every year." I don't I don't think that's true. So, I've had my I've had my
1: well-documented issues with him. I think that is only in reference to franchise mode, which I am 100% on board with. The gameplay to me is fine. Like there's nothing terrible about it. They just just done nothing significant with franchise
0: in pretty much a decade. Right. And it's, I mean, I, and I usually play online for a long time. And then around this time of the year, I start playing franchise. You're a big online game. guy. Yes. I do that mainly until kind of like three months before the next Madden comes out. And then I like to, I, cause I like to draft the new players and I like to do the draft classes. You can download from the community file and all that stuff. So I enjoy doing that very much. So, and yeah, the game could use a lot of tweaking different options. There should just be more custom ability, Uh, customization possible for what kind of features you want or how you want to run the franchise. And there's, I mean, there's a million ways to fix it, but Madden finally has been like the EA employees that are out there, out there on Twitter and stuff have been taking kind of responsibility and acknowledging. Which is shitty.
1: Like it's not their fault. Like they're trying pretty much every year to do what they can, but they have a very short development window. And they're, as has been explained by, I think some videos that I've watched that it's not even like them. It's like the higher ups at EA that are basically just forcing them to do one thing. So they've had this like career mode thing that they've been doing the last couple of years, like long shot. And now the QB one thing or whatever, all the, which is so close to being really good, but it's not. Yeah. And so like all the people that typically would work on franchise have been working on that for the past three years. And like before that, it was the ultimate team stuff. So they were working on like ultimate team and like improving that kind of thing. So it's uh it's weird. I totally, I don't know a hundred percent who to blame. I really don't care. Just fix franchise. That's all I ask. It sounds like they've taken notice of uh, a lot of those complaints, hopefully uh, by 2022 or whatever the next entry is going to be. It's going to be, you know, better, but uh, you know, I don't have my hopes up, but it's also, I don't want to go too crazy. Like it's just a game. I'm probably, I'm definitely going to buy it this year because of the cover probably just going to keep buying it every year. It's not a huge deal. Just, you know, fixed franchise. That's all I ask. Yeah. And
0: I will say too, like they added the superstar badges and that whole thing last year. Yeah, that's fun. And that's that, that, was, that was always kind of a gripe for me because I want more style things that are relative to superstar players. And they did that. So I'm like, like the jukebox and spins, like all that stuff I love. I think that's really cool. There's a, a lot really of, yeah. I mean, they did like
1: time. if you look at like some of the other Like sports games, their career modes, like 2Ks. People even complain about that at this point, but that even in its current iteration blows Madden out of the water. I'm currently playing uh, Formula One 2020. Sick, sick game. Really well done. Probably the best sports game I've played in a while. Been getting into Formula One the last couple months because of that Netflix series, uh, F1 Drive to Survive. Check it out if you have not. It's an amazing, probably the best sports documentary in that hard-knock style that I've maybe ever seen, at least in a while. Uh, so F one 2020 is an awesome sports game. So I think if they kind of look at games like that, and then hopefully this new, uh, PGA tour, two K 21 is going to be good. Uh, and you know, just kind of balance the game out a little bit, make it feel like the franchise is getting some attention. That QB one thing is getting some attention. Maybe combine those two if you have to, and, uh, you know, keep giving the online players some love too, because they're making a lot of money.
0: Yeah. Online's had some serious problems. Like, I don't know what it's been. They've just ignored it for like at least two years that, you can't see your, like, world ranking anymore, and you haven't been able to see the ranking or the record of your opponent that you just played. But you have the option to do it. You click it, and nothing comes up. And it's just like a little compartment inside the game, just a tiny little thing that probably takes more to fix than I would realize. I'm not a developer, but... It's hard. Um, I'm sure, but that there's just these little nuggets everywhere that are just, like, tiny little things that piss you off. And, I mean, I or my mother as I was growing up have spent now I've, I've been playing since like 2004 and I've bought every single one or my mom did until I was, you know, like shout out to 17. you not doing chores. I never got an allowance for chores. That was not, I just had to do my chores. Not, not a thing for me, but um, yeah, that's a lot of money spent. And I remember the first time I bought my own, and it was a great feeling. That was one of the first things I bought when I finally got a job when I was like 17. But spent a lot of money on it, and I think there's a very strong, faithful following, as there are with many games, and especially someone like me. I, I'm I don't care. I'll buy it every year. I will buy it every year. I'll probably do that for at least another 10 years. I blindly follow them. I love their game. I I just love it. And one of the reasons I like football so much. One of the core reasons I like football so much is because of that game. So. I see one end of it, and like you said, they have a short window to do major things that you know they can't. But yeah, that's improved. part of the part of the reason
1: you know our society is going, the direction is going, is people just blindly follow. You know, it's kind of a little bit of a sheep right now, man. It's fucking crazy, man. You should smoke some DMT, Jimmy. See if you can pull up the uh, effect of DMT on uh, you know sheeple out here that are just blindly following society. Joe Rogan, shout out. Shut yeah, shout. <laughs> Shout out to our uh, our fifteen minute discussion on Joe Rogan, and that got some love on Reddit the other day. Really? <laughs> yeah. Somebody was like, uh, I think somebody posted like asking for like best Ravens podcast, and like it uh, it listed I think like the official ones that they have on the Ravens site, and then the guy had us on there, and he's like, Yeah, it's really good. It's definitely like the eighteen to thirty five like you know bro Geographic. like white guy thing. Definitely influenced a little bit by pardon my take. Uh, it can get a little stale. They had like a 15 minute discussion on Joe Rogan the other day. And I was like, you know what? I can probably pretty much wholeheartedly endorse all of what you just said, positive and negative.
0: Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. We ramble, but we like rambling. Thank you guys for sticking with us. We appreciate it.
1: Uh, I guess that's all we got on Madden. That's all we got on Madden. Okay. Moving on. The franchise tag deadline has come and gone. Dak Prescott going to play on the tag. Chris Jones not going to play on the tech. Matthew Judon
0: going to play on the tech. What are our thoughts? Do we have any holdouts? AJ Green? AJ Green. I think he, he's he only on the only holdout. Tag? And no one has talked about it and no one cares. Is he even on? Damn, I didn't even know he was on it. 17 million. And I think he hasn't signed it still. I might be wrong. I don't think he signed his. Tag I think yet. uh
1: I think they were honestly thinking about moving on from then Burrow was like, eh, let's let's. Talk a minute here.
0: Whoa, pump the rakes. Give me the
1: most underrated Oh, receiver. I'm trying to start a, a career here. Hey, I got to throw some touchdowns. He's going to lock AJ Green in the locker room and turn around and be like, now you now just can't leave.
0: Shout out to <laughs> Uh But yeah, so I, I feel like there's no major holdout though. I think like last couple of years there's been crazy holdouts that are like these entire things. I guess, isn't Gokwe? Did Ngakwe sign? <laughs> That's a whole
1: thing. No, he did not sign. There have been discussions yeah, with other one. teams. Jacksonville is in no hurry to move him. It's That is just an absolute, like, shit They're
0: show. saying they want now, to... Now the report is like that they want a third rounder. And I think Ngakwe is slightly overrated, but I think he also plays on a shitty team and might not be as fully committed to that team pure this past pure year. pass rusher. I feel like if he goes somewhere with a good front seven, he could really eat, but uh, yeah, he has, he has a good, uh, he had a lot of run stops too. He's, he's a good player, but I think he's a little tiny blown out of proportion. Like, I think
1: Ravens fans, you're probably seeing that a lot from too with the Terps connection, but uh, yeah, you know, good player.
0: That's yeah. Local, the local bias there a little bit, but yeah. And then the rumor is that a pro bowl player was offered. Uh, I think big cat country, the SB nation page of, the Jacksonville Jaguars said that they thought it was Judon. Another one said they thought it was Trubisky. Uh, they said there was a player, <laughs> a Pro sad. Bowl player, who wasn't a scheme fit. A Pro Bowl player mix Trubisky on the block. That's the first thing I thought of. That it, it's hilarious. It's there's a picture of him with Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, like the three quarterbacks of that draft class. I kind of
1: I kind of feel bad for Bears fans at that point
0: because it's like, what are you gonna do, like? I don't know. He <laughs> he had, a, he, had a, he had a decent year too and then he got well I got the little pro bowl nod and then just was holy crap bad. Yeah, it was year.
1: it was a thing where he had that year and like the tape guys were just like still like hey, this guy still kind of sucks and then I don't know, I kind of was kind of rooting for him a little bit in that sense because I kind of don't like it when people I guess they're not rooting for him to fail necessarily, but it sort of gets a little bit nasty at certain points and I was like, ah, you know, I, you know, kind of hope this guy seems like a good guy, hope he's able to parlay this into a real career to this point has not
0: been able to do so has not been able to do so uh but yeah so ngakwe aj green but long story short bringing it back to the ravens 40 50 minutes into the podcast matthew Judon is going to play on the franchise tag uh so i mean i made some posts on the instagram and and on twitter as well because i just saw a lot of really i mean Judon was like cussing people out kind of on social media at one point and getting pissed but like rightfully so I don't know what everyone shit talks about so much I basically did a full breakdown of my thoughts on Judon and it is I think all that
1: specifically came from him tweeting at honey badger like how's the real estate looking in Kansas City asking for a friend getting a little cute and then he followed it up and he was like asking for a friend it's like all right dude like if you're gonna troll just troll like you don't have to like do all this stuff and then he allowed that to kind of get to him a little bit and to his credit, I think he that was something that he had been known for he a little bit. He did kind bit. of dig his own grave on He had been one. known for a little bit in his first couple of years, or at least more recently when the contract talks had come up, and we had both given him a lot of credit for turning that around, being pretty you know, quiet and just kind of going about his business the last year or so. Came to a head a little bit with all the fans kind of talking smack to him, which if you're one of those people and you're listening to this, stop talking shit to him. He's just a guy trying to earn a living, whether that's here or somewhere else. Uh, you don't really have any right to do that, so stop.
0: It's just... <laughs> He's, he's a good player. Like it's just a crazy he wants to, life, he wants man.
1: to, you know, earn some money, whether that's here or elsewhere. Don't begrudge him, unless he no. uh, says some can you, can you not say so kind things when about he was, your when mother. He was
0: mad when he was mad, he was like, "I want to be here. They don't want me." Was one of the comments he made. He was like, "I'm trying to stay in Baltimore. They they won't resign me." Which
1: is just something that like you say when you're in negotiations
0: and like they're not going to budge on know. like the couple I million. Don't know. I think the Ravens are holding off. I think they're they're enjoying the fact that they have the franchise tag. And and I think it's, I mean, I think from that perspective, it's smart. Let him play on the tag, buy some more time, figure out, you know, if everyone's healthy, who you want to resign, it's not the end of the world. He hasn't made that big of a fuss, just a little tiny fuss. And, um, you know, I think he's a really good player. I think that, you know, he drops into coverage 20% of his freaking snaps against the pass. And no one realizes that or gives him any credit for it. And, Then everyone's like, oh, he's not a top 10 pass rusher, but he's only he rushes the passer 80% of the time. 80% of the time. He only had like 400 and some odd pass rushing attempts. Chandler Jones had 600. How are you going to be a top 10 pass rusher who rushes the passer less than 28 other guys? It's similar to to, in a
1: different way, maybe with the way that
0: I think Ravens fans
1: try to disrespect TJ Watt, who we mentioned. And I think we have a question on Uh, that's to do that drops back a significant amount as well, I believe uh and yeah he people, drops back a good bit people just don't take that into account when it comes to guys that are you know maybe they come into the league as pass rushers maybe they get that label slapped onto them for whatever but uh a la tj watch Judan is a guy that does much more than that as we've discussed and will continue to
0: yeah and everyone has these little like the the number one thing that makes me mad is there's the argument that uh i think pff tweeted it once and they they tweeted a second thing as well that no one talks about they tweeted out and said that fifty-three percent of his pressures, I can't remember the exact one, but it was about half of his pressures come from unblocked or cleanup. And to me, like, he, he sacked Deshaun Watson twice, which is like Rocky trying to catch a chicken in the back. Like, Deshaun Watson is really difficult to bring down. That was considered cleanup. So I think that you have to have a certain amount of athleticism to go chase down on a super athletic quarterback and do that. So I hate that. Number two... The reason that he gets unblocked pressure is because he is versatile versatile enough to drop back into coverage. So if he can drop back into coverage 10, 15 times a game and rush the passer well, then maybe the offensive line and quarterback who are professionals that study, do their best to try to make an effort to figure out what he's going to do, don't know what he's going to do because he might drop back into coverage because he's good at dropping back into coverage. That is what allows him to come unblocked, that he's able to bluff and disguise what he's going to do. That is the signature of the Ravens defense since freaking Mike Nolan all the way back in the day. Shout out to Seuss. Right. And we've talked about the Creeper Blitzes. We've had extensive talks on here about that. And Judon is perfect for it. And so you go back, you look at what's happened in the last two years now. The Ravens could have franchise tagged Zedarius Smith last year if they wanted to. They chose not to. They let him go and then tagged Judon. So they keep Judon for two years instead of maybe trading Judon and keeping Smith. Why? because I think they like Judon's ability to cover. They like that. He can provide that versatility has that scheme fit aspect and is a positionless defender in many ways. So in the end, people are knocking him for these things that that just don't quite add up. And they're like, Oh, well he only has this many sacks and blah, blah, blah. But in the end, he's not rushing the passer enough. Like if you took Chandler Jones who had what? 19 sacks last year, cut his pass rushes down to 439, whatever Judon's was, he's not going to have 19 fucking sacks. He's going to have like 13, 12, 11, 10. And then he's right where Judon is while not being able to cover as well. So different strokes for different folks, different positions. There's a lot more that goes into that. Long story short, like I said, I like that the Ravens have Judon on the team, ready to go. Maybe they do end up trading him and all this is in vain, but I think it's smart to put him on the franchise tag. He's a former fifth round pick who has what, 4 million career earnings before taxes and all that crap. And now he's getting 16 million. So for him, it's a little different than a guy like Clowney. We've talked about that before, but I love Judon. I think he's a very good player. I don't think he's the best in the NFL or whatever, but I think he's very solid. I understand keeping him and wanting to keep him. I think he fits in their defense well, and it was a smart move to franchise tag him. And if he plays on the franchise tag, I'm all for that. Maybe he ends up, you know, going somewhere else next year. They get a comp pick the following year, whatever, but I'm glad he's back for the season. I think, they're a lot better off with him than without him. And he's not, I mean, he's like the 10th highest paid edge rusher this year. It's not like he's, you know, crippling them by any means. It
1: was Todd Krakow, by the way, that we were looking for for the Snyder comp. Uh, Googled that while you were talking. Uh, Judon, yeah. um, Really good player for all the reasons that you mentioned. Pass rushing, not his strong suit 100%, uh, because he also does dropping back, good run defender as well. Just to, you know, I wouldn't say... Like Jack of all trades necessarily, but uh he definitely has a unique skill set compared to the typical prototypical pass rusher that people are talking about. But uh for me, it comes down to like the fact that I just think he's gonna be here for this year. He's gonna play on the tag, and then he's gonna leave. Because if you look at the guys they have coming down the pipeline, you got Stanley coming up, I'd pay Stanley over him, you got Humphrey coming up, I'd pay Humphrey over him, you got Jackson coming up, that's not even a question. You pay Jackson over him. He's just kind of like the odd man out at this point. And if he doesn't want to play on the tag, then whatever. I guess they'll figure it out. But I think he's going to play this season on the tag and then he's gone and that's it. And he's a really good player. It sucks to lose him. But at a certain point, you can only have so many young superstars on your team. And I think he's the
0: odd man out at this point. That might be the case, but again, they bought time to to see, to evaluate every yeah, year. To measure all of those things. Does someone tear an ACL? Does someone, you know, end up missing a ton of time? Does he, does he get hurt? Does someone else yeah, get Yeah, yeah. Just saying like, at All this, that stuff plays into it. Just saying as things stand, that's the way I see it.
1: Um, So if you were to go out and, you know, all things being equal, 2019 to 2020, that's the way it'll play out. But who knows what's going to happen, man? Who who knows with uh COVID and everything and the way the 2020 season is going to ultimately look. Uh, the guy has a chance to potentially solidify himself a spot here for the long term. But uh, we're going to see what happens.
0: Yes. And on a quick note off of that, I mean, I was digging, I was going into PFF stats and looking up all this stuff, and I never really have looked at Tyus Bowser, and I never looked at like the coverage metrics necessarily for uh, PFF, which there's like a specific, it's like not in the same category, whatever. It's a different page and ty Bowser was literally the best edge in coverage last year of any of them that had any sort of significant coverage snaps he dropped back into coverage on i believe it was 75 snaps he was only targeted five times allowed two completions for 19 yards when targeted it was a 51.3 passer rating that was the third lowest among edge defenders he allowed just 0.24 yards per snap in coverage that was the best among all edge defenders as well as 39 snaps, so it 78 snaps he had, 39 snaps per reception allowed, which was also the best among edge defenders. And if there's a guy to pay early, like Tavon Young, like Nick Boyle, like Pat Ricard, it should have already been Tyus Bowser, in my opinion, and still can be before he possibly has a little bit better of a year with some more snaps. Uh, I think that Tyus Bowser should get paid a little bit, and you should keep him. And then what you're not so desperate, let's say Judon you know, does go or some other negative thing happens. The Ravens are in a bind at the edge rusher position and they obviously like guys that can cover. That's why Bowser and Judon are two of the eight highest edge rushers in terms of coverage snaps. That is part of Wink's scheme defensively. And I think they should pay him, you know, six, $7 million guaranteed a year pocket him before he might maybe blow up and keep him around. I think he's a good player. Yeah. I actually see your point on that a lot. Uh, a dude who
1: again very versatile maybe not necessarily in the mold of a pure pass rusher like maybe some people were even expecting coming out of houston he did have some coverage skills in college but uh, i think it's translated well to the nfl like you mentioned there and uh he really exploded onto the scene in 2017 and it kind of hasn't been the same for him since those first few couple of games where he was just making splash plays all over the field so you'd maybe like to see him get back to that in some form but uh Even just a pretty serviceable, you know, good season out of Tyus Bowser, where he maybe gets five or six sacks, makes a couple plays in coverage. I think that would be just the uh, right amount to get him a little bit of a midway contract in the in the ways of Chuck Clark or Nick Boyle, like you mentioned. I think that would be a very interesting and astute move. Uh, Is that all we have on the tag? That's all we got on the tag, my friend. What else do we got here? We, I guess, we touched on Chris Jones. So I guess we can close it out with our boy Warren Sharp he does a guide for the NFL i don't know how long preview, he's been preview preview guide of the of the NFL i don't know how long he's been doing it i got my first one last year in 2019 really great resource i read the ravens chapter last year and then tried to get as many teams teams in as i could but it's pretty long and in depth so for the purposes of this year we're just going to be focusing on the ravens a couple of takeaways from it it's a very interesting format well presented, a lot of numbers thrown around, you know, a lot of cool terminology. Warren is one of the absolute best in the business when it comes to the analytics side of things. And uh, yeah, well, we're just, co- you know, a couple of your takeaways from reading the, I believe, nine or 10 pages of the Ravens chapter of Warren Sharp's preview.
0: My first takeaway is that he is paid to consult for the Ravens and he won't admit it. Yeah, no, we, we've we been throwing so that around. obvious them. now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so obvious now. Uh, they obviously weigh analytics so heavily, which is smart and Warren the way Warren speaks about them is like a father speaking about a proud a, a kid who just went 3 for 4 with a double, a home run and a single and 5 RBIs in a high school baseball game like Warren Sharp loves the Ravens um his key takeaways are essentially that uh they need to be able to capitalize off of per, offensively it was that they need to be able to capitalize off of defensive personnel uh, more consistently and that they didn't do that against the Titans and the Ravens, I believe, uh, ran the ball 53% of the time against six-man or when six DBs were on the excuse me six-man boxes, so a light box uh, when there's just six DBs up in in or six defensive players up inside the hashes, uh, and they average 7.2 yards per carry with like a 55% success rate. Then against the Titans, I have it in front of me somewhere. Uh, they basically didn't do that. It was, they ran the ball 28% of the time in those situations. The Titans exclusively played the Ravens that way almost more than really any other team had. Uh, they they used light boxes, and the Ravens just didn't make them pay, and that allowed the Titans to keep playing the pass. And you can talk about maybe, like, I just think that abandoning the run when you're a team that ran the ball better than 15 to 20 teams through the ball uh, wasn't a good idea. And just because you're down by two touchdowns with two – like with plenty of time left in the game doesn't mean you abandon uh, the ball. It got away from what helped you get there. And that was a major talking point for Warren sharp in that sense. Uh, he loved the use of motion that the Ravens use, obviously. And my own personal thoughts on that. And I wrote an article about is that they used, need to throw more screens and they have Willie Sneed and Hollywood Brown on jet motion so much. They only had two pop passes. Both were to Hollywood Brown the entire season. Um, they also just don't throw freaking screens. They threw 18 screens all season and 10 of them came against the Cardinals and bills. So more than half of their total screens for the year were in two games, both of which were wins. There's not really a correlation there that you, that's, that's classic causation is not correlation, but uh, there's a ton of room for them with all the motion they use. And I think that Lamar spoke this season about how he needs to use the, the, the Tom Brady stuff more the mental stuff more. He needs to have, at the line, checks, audibles, calls, a whole new tool belt of them, a lot more of them. I don't think he really ever did that much, to be honest. You don't see a ton of uh, winks and nods and communication and and touching the helmet. Which and, and, a little know, little
1: strength. connective tissue. That is something that really helped Flacco take off in 2011, I believe. He wasn't allowed to audible for like the first three years of his career under Cam Cameron. They finally let him start doing it in, I think, either 11 or 12. I know in 12, they started running the no huddle. And uh, he got, you know, started to be allowed to audible a little bit more. So I think that was something that helped him kick it in the next year. So I think that's a good point by you, but continue.
0: But yeah, so I think that is a point going off of some of the stuff Warren Sharp said as well as, um, lost my train of thought. Oh, tempo. The Ravens need to use more tempo. And I believe that they were really bad. And this was another, the Titans game brought out a lot of bad. And I, I put that video out of, of Lamar running the two-minute drill before halftime, but it was so inefficient. They weren't getting up. They weren't getting to the line. And, again, you just mentioned Flacco. When they started having an efficient tempo offense, it was awesome to see them get to the line, have two, three calls at a time, You know, take 10 seconds, get another two, three calls in, go, 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 go push the pace. And those are two things that they need to really, really, really work on this offseason, incorporating the screen game with Lamar being able to check to them as well as being able to run tempo. Because if they get to another situation in an important game where they're trailing and they just look like shit again, that's going to be really frustrating.
1: You don't want them uh, pot committed to a bad strategy. Shout out to Molly's game. They were a little pot committed to the passing game in that game. And uh, yeah, I think that was a really interesting sort of way of putting it in that he said that I think he said that he understood kind of why they fell into that mindset of sort of having to pass and having to play catch up he said he got it but like it just kind of wasn't the way to do it you got to be more process based that's a lot of what these uh analytics guys talk about is just embracing the process no matter how good or bad things are going you just got to grind your way through it and uh hope for the best results didn't work out for that game obviously but uh, i think just more of that in 2020 is going to be Why the Ravens are continuing to be at the cutting edge of the analytics department for me, I was taking a look specifically at the, I think I was tweeting about this, uh, the first half leads. So I think he has a stat in there since 2010 teams with the halftime lead, they go on to win more often than teams who win the turnover battle, which actually blew my mind. Mm
0: And they I, were both around 78%, 78% of the time. And it was slightly uh, more for the halftime leads, the team who wins a turnover battle and the team who is leading at halftime wins. Yeah. And I think Ravens only trailed at halftime against and won against the 49ers and the Steelers last year.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think that was kind of my main takeaway from it is just kind of that mentality of going out. And like, this is kind of a cliche that even goes back to like my high school soccer team. Like, My coach would always say, like, dominate the first five, ten minutes, and, like, we would sort of joke about that. Like, it just sounds like a coach cliche, but uh, just sort of getting out there and imposing your will a little bit. And maybe this is a thing that even goes against analytics and that it kind of seems like a momentum argument or something like that. But, I mean, the numbers seem to bear out that if you dominate in the first half, you go on to win the game, and that's definitely... The defense getting turnovers in the first half are probably help to demoralize, help to you know get the lead up for the Ravens early on. As do the you know the offense, like you mentioned, running the ball. I think when they had dominant running games, they would walk out with the lead in the first half more often than not. So just kind of continuing to do what you do and dominate in the first half. I think you're talking about a head coaching gig for
0: at least one of these two coordinators in 2021. For sure, it would be tough to see the whole coaching staff back again if the Ravens do win somewhere around 11 and a half games, which is what Warren Sharp has them at. Uh, his other thoughts are that the Ravens are going to score fewer touchdowns, but they also are going to play against a less quality defense as a whole in 2020 than they would did in 2019. Um, they, they faced a little tougher competition in his mind last year. Defensively, he wants them to target marquise brown he says proceed with caution towards mark ingram in terms of fantasy uh then defensively he just loved the blitzing love 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 the blitzing
1: yeah definitely and that's a staple of wink like we've been talking about which is weird at this point to be saying that because wink has only been around for what two years at this point but he's just shown you know this absolute dogged mentality of just send the guys send the guys send the guys even and i would say especially in the crunch time moments like you know, they win that game in 2018 by sending everyone uh, and getting to Baker Mayfield, you know, 2019 blitz heavy, I believe, against the Seahawks. And, uh, you know, trying to just get the ball out and Forrest Turner was late in games. That's not something you necessarily saw with peas a lot. And it won them a couple games like Pittsburgh, like Seattle. So, uh, yeah, the defense is very impressive, not only just in blitzing, but I think overall aggression. Going for that ball, I think Humphrey specifically deserves a little bit of a gold star for doing that peanut punch and trying to get that ball out. I think uh, just having a nose for the ball and uh, blitzing a whole
0: lot is uh, a very impressive aspect of the defense, so I'm glad he picked up on that. Absolutely, and when you go ahead and look at his advanced passing table in terms of Lamar Jackson, uh, you see some really good stuff that 10% of Lamar Jackson's passes were for 20-plus yards which was higher than the NFL average at 8.9%. He had 46 completions of 20 or more yards, which was higher than the NFL average of 31. Uh, His 30-plus yard pass percentage was 4 when the NFL average was 3.6, so again higher. His average air yards per completion were 6.7 over the average of 6.1 by other NFL passers. So all of those things end up summarizing that Lamar Jackson pushes the ball down the field, Uh, that vertical passing attack. The Ravens like to use vertical concepts to complement their downhill running game. And that's why I think in the end, again, it goes back to those screens, get the defense moving sideline to sideline a little bit so that you can attack them even more efficiently and effectively down the field, make them cover every blade of grass. And I think those are all things that the Ravens can utilize next year. And to be honest, Lamar Jackson really stunk on ice in his rookie year, throwing screens. He was, very inaccurate. I actually talked with Derek Clausen, QB class we've had on this podcast uh, about that, about a specific play that I saw. And he basically said he, he, he straight up knows more about quarterback mechanics than I do. So that's why I said, Hey, can you walk me through this? And he said that Lamar Jackson has a tendency to keep his front foot, not his plant foot, a little bit tight as opposed to a little bit wider. And when you do that, you have to overcompensate with your upper body, with your shoulders and with your arm, as opposed to being able to generate torque with your hips from a wider base. And that that happened a little bit on deep passes. And I saw that a lot on screen passes in Lamar Jackson's rookie year. Uh, That's where his his much fewer, but still a little bit present, ugly passes came from where he didn't open up his front foot enough and allow himself to rotate from the hips. So I think that'll be a mechanical working point of Lamar Jackson moving forward. And it's just insane because, you know, people are expecting him to regress from last year. And I think that the efficiency regression is likely as far as, you know, touchdown pass percentage of 9%. You can't bet on that. Uh, People don't sustain that over a two year period very often. But then we have to go back and look at the volume and how many blowouts the Ravens won, uh, how many times RG3 came in. Lamar sat out week 17. So for a fantasy outlook for Lamar Jackson, he's probably going to have more volume as a passer. He's probably going to play in some closer games. Uh, You know, the Ravens are going to be really good again. We both think that, but it's just hard to think there's going to be five mega blowouts again to the point where RG3 is coming in like that. Games will be closer. When games are a little bit closer, passing volume tends to go up. So I think that the efficiency might take a step back you know, maybe we don't see him have a six to one touchdown interception ratio again, but I think those yards are going to jump up. I think that completion percentage can still go up a little bit. Uh, I don't know if the, the touchdown percentage or the touchdown to interception ratio will be quite as high as it was, but I anticipate more yards. I anticipate the touchdowns to be similar. Um, I'm excited. And the additions of Duvernay and Prochet in the end uh, and the departure of Hayden Hurst says they are going to rely on, you know, some 11 personnel and maybe some, lighter personnel at times and having guys that can really push down the field. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm excited for crochet. I went back and looked a little bit more crochet and, and he's a really competitive route runner. He's very good at the release and the Ravens wire. Matthew Stevens actually did a really nice little write up on James crochet. They talked with David Robinson, who is an NFL star wide receiver trainer has worked with all kinds of superstars, you name it. And David Robinson, that trainer made a comparison of James crochet to Jarvis Landry and I really like that comparison a lot stylistically. You know, maybe James Roche doesn't end up being remotely as, you know, big-time hundred reception, thousand-yard guy. He was a sixth-round pick, so it's hard to put that expectation. But Proche is super competitive and quick and and shifty. He's got a uh, he's got what I would say a nose
1: for the ball that you just cannot teach. Like he just out muscles guys at his size, which is not significant. And he uh, tracks the ball well. Oh, yeah, definitely. He goes up for it. He will go down for it sometimes if he has to. He's very creative with his body. So uh, a lot of the traits are there. He's maybe not athletically uh, the most gifted guy, but I don't know. Like you see some, some of these late-round receivers that – you know, are just kind of technicians. They're not athletic beasts. Crafty. Yeah, like Kelvin Harmon. He just tore his ACL, which sucks, but he had some production down in Washington uh, last season. Um, So, you know, maybe something like that.
0: You know, a couple hundred yards, maybe a touchdown from Prochet this year. It's it's not going to be a first. You know, Prochet is not going to, you know, it's going to be Hollywood. It's going to be Mark Andrews. It's going to be Sneed still. There's Duvernay as well. We love Duvernay, but Prochet is... Very, I, I just like that Jarvis Landry comparison. I like the release. I like the slot ability. I like the physicality. They don't have high top speed. They're not going to run away from you necessarily. They can just a little bit, but they're not just going to blow right past you. Um, there's a lot of savvy there. There's hands there. There's there's physicality after the catch there. Uh, blocking, they're tough blockers. I, I like the Jarvis Landry comparison stylistically for sure. And you know the original point is Ravens are going to throw the ball a little bit more. And Lamar's another year in. And I mean, he's going into his year of being 23 years old now. And it's just crazy that he's so young still has this is his third season and already won an MVP, made so much strides last year. You've seen him throwing the ball. You've got Hollywood ready to be the number one receiver. And this passing game could could look a lot different this year. And I'm, I'm here for it. Absolutely. I agree with pretty
1: much everything you just said there. Anything else on Warren Sharp or anything else that we've discussed in this episode?
0: Uh, very curious about the linebackers just generally. I, I, I really do kind of wish Josh Bynes was still in that room. Um, you know, linebacker, they don't put it. I was about to say they don't put a ton of stock into them, but they just spent two high draft picks on them. So they, they do. And I was going to say they pretty much
1: didn't for a while. And then they looked around they're like, well, not a whole lot of needs on this team right now. Might as well just invest in linebacker.
0: Right. And I'm, I'm just curious. It's difficult to put a lot of stock into rookies. Uh, especially, especially the linebacker right now, position.
1: Especially right now with the fact that they're not in the building when they should have been and uh training camp's going to be
0: looking a lot different this year. Absolutely. So it's it's tough to have really lofty expectations. Obviously, you know, I've broken those guys down. Those were two guys that we covered a ton heading into the draft. I did speak very highly of and then the Ravens walk away with them. But you just can't count on rookies, especially at certain positions, to have consistency while the splash plays might be there. And linebacker is that, that position for me where it's rare. I mean, you see a Darius Leonard from time to time, CJ Mosley was really good as a rookie. That might've been his best season as a Raven. Um, It's, it's just tough. I mean, Devin white was awful at times last year. He turned it on in the second half and he had some crazy splash plays. Devin white had a play where he completely ran himself out of a, a run concept the running back—I can't recall—he was playing. He chased sixty yards down the field and then stripped him from behind after basically blowing his assignment. So that consistency and processing isn't always there off the bat with rookies. So temper your expectations on them. There's going to be growing pains there. I would be shocked to see them—you know—be guys that grade out from PFF really high because consistency is really big with them and things like that. So uh, you know, I, I would love to have Josh Bynes because I went back, I charted all these screens, I watched—I basically watched the entire season, every snap, again over the last month. Josh Bynes made a lot of fucking plays. He made a lot of really strong plays, especially in trash in the wash and, and ended a lot of plays uh, for the opposing offense. And I, I really wish the Ravens resigned him just for a little bit more veteran savvy, a little bit more reliability, LJ Fort, same kind of deal did make a good bit of plays, but, uh, just temper expectations on the rookies. That's my my closing piece for this episode.
1: Yeah, I think they might have went upside with Ford as opposed to the dependability of Bynes, which uh, I guess we'll see what happens with that. I mean, Bynes, like you mentioned, definitely a playmaker. That first game that he was with the team against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, he picks off Rudolph, really turns the tide of that game and helps them to go on to win it. So uh, yeah, going to miss Josh Bynes and his veteran presence. And uh, I'm going to miss you, bud, because I guess we've got to get out of here for at least this First episode that we are going to be recording for July the 17th. Uh, Really appreciate you guys listening into this one. For anyone watching on YouTube, we're going to be hanging around for another hour or so doing a mailbag. But uh, yeah, for everyone listening today on July 17th, we're going to have another mailbag episode, which we're about to record uh, for July 24th. So stay tuned for that. Really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, You can follow the show on Twitter at Podcast Beatdown. You can follow me at Jake Luke. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. You can follow Spencer at Ravens4Dummies. That's the number four in the middle. And uh, really appreciate you guys. And talk to you in a couple weeks. I'm going to be out of town here uh, for the next week or so. And uh, come back, hopefully, with a refreshed mindset and some uh, good football news to discuss.
0: Absolutely. Hopefully, everybody's in camp. Uh, one final piece from this episode is that at the M- there's a lot riding on the NBA, in my opinion. They had only two players test positive for COVID. Bubble season. Uh in the bubble and if the nba and mlb are able to start and get out to a good start that's so good for the nfl and that would be great for us
1: keep your fingers crossed you've had a couple nba players test positive but uh yeah hopefully they're able to get through that and the sport is able to push on but uh yeah either way we will talk to you guys again very soon
0: wear your masks get football back see ya
1: stay safe stay healthy call your parents
0: all right thanks a lot appreciate you guys see you later all right god bless <laughs> <Hell>
1: yeah <laughs> Ha, <laughs>